In other words, the real power of the issue of intent lies in understanding its architecture. That if you base your intent on what you're trying to get from the world, you make yourself a bed of misery. You cultivate an experience of insecurity, discontentment, uh, weakness, victimhood, and conflict with the world around you. Whereas if you base your intent on what you're contributing, you base your intent, you, you, you cultivate an experience of security, of fulfillment, of real autonomy and power, and of harmony. I am Sadia Tariq, and you're listening to Thani, the podcast. Without doubt, I can say that this is one podcast that you want to listen to. Our guest today is Sheikh Ibrahim Shkithema, who is a Sufi teacher from the Dharkawi Shadaliya Tariqa and currently lives in Gauteng, South Africa. In this podcast, Sheikh Ibrahim speaks about the intent, the architecture of intention, finding ourselves encapsuled in cages by the way we make our intentions. He also talks about attachment, negative self-talk, healthy relationships, and most pertinently, the situation that all of us are going, undergoing right now. Looking at this current situation as a blessing and not as a curse. Sir, delighted to have you on Thani. Truly, truly honored for you to have been able to make it on this platform. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. Sir, we uh, will we'll dive right in. And, and my first question to you is, which is perhaps the most basic tenet of our faith as well. What is intention and what is the power of intention? Mm. You know, Sadia, there's a lot of new agey stuff going around about intention. And um, it's sort of consistent with this idea that if you, uh, if you kind of work with an affirmation or you hold an intention, then, what, then that which you hold gets actualized. And so, um, you know, if you want a million dollars, you just write it on your mirror with lipstick and you repeat that intent over to you over and over. And and that's not what we mean by intent. We we don't when we talk intention, we don't mean this um, this sort of silly new age idea of uh, how can I put it manifesting what you desire. Um, sure. What when we speak about intent, we're we're saying that look fundamentally, there's a there's a fundamental architecture to intent. Um, that um, the, in any situation, you can construct your intent on the basis of one of two variables. You can either construct your intent on what you're getting, or you can construct your intent on what you're giving. Now, the power of that mm-hmm. understanding, and if we say, well, what is the power of intent? What's the power of that understanding? Uh, is, uh, the power is, is really relates to the fact that if you construct your intent on the basis of what you want to get, you cultivate a really miserable life for yourself. Most people, if you ask them what do they want from life, they'll give you one of four possibilities, and they might be you know, one or more. They could say, I either want a sense of security, or I want a sense of fulfillment, or I'd like a sense of real autonomy or power, 
or I'd like a sense of harmony with the world around me. What people don't realize is that those four things are actually the product of how their intent operates. Because if I base my sense of security on what I'm getting from the world, because the world rarely gives me what I want at that particular point in time, I'll never be secure. Whereas if I base my security on the quality of what I'm contributing at any given point in time, because I've always got power over that, I've always got power over the quality of what I contribute, I'll always be secure. And exactly the same argument has to be true for, for contentment or fulfillment. If I base my happiness or fulfillment on what I'm getting from the world, because the world doesn't deliver for me what I want at any given point in time, I'll basically stay discontented. Whereas if I base my happiness on the quality of my contribution, because I've always got control over that, I'll become fulfilled. And um, similarly with the issue of power, if I want something from somebody else, that person's ability to withhold what I want makes them powerful and me weak. Because if I get something, the, the, somebody else has got power over the thing that I'm getting, not me. Whereas if I, if I base mm. my, my autonomy and my power on the quality of my contribution, because I've always got control over what I'm giving in the situation that I'm in, I become powerful. And finally, the sense of harmony that I have with the world around me. So if I base my intent on what I'm trying to get from you, your ability to withhold what I want gives you power over me, and that actually makes you dangerous to me. But not only are you dangerous to me, because, but precisely because I'm trying to get something from you, I'm dangerous to you. In other words, when I want something from you, I'm simultaneously dangerous to you as you are dangerous to me. And when two people are dangerous with regard to each other, you'll have conflict. Whereas if I base my intent on how I can be helpful to you, because you can't withhold anything, I become free and safe from you. But precisely because I'm trying to be helpful to you, you become safe from me. I became safe from you, you become safe from me, and therefore we have harmony. In other words, the real power of the issue of intent lies in understanding its architecture. That if you base your intent on what you're trying to get from the world, you make yourself a bed of misery. You cultivate an experience of insecurity, discontentment, uh, weakness, victimhood, and conflict with the world around you. Whereas if you base your intent on what you're contributing, you base your intent, you, you, you cultivate an experience of security, of fulfillment, of real autonomy and power and of harmony. Sir, so would you, would you be able to um, give us a few examples in terms of how we can secure ourselves by intending to All right. Give. So, so I, let me give an example. I'll give you a, a first um, a negative example. We talk about the issue of security. I think it's a reasonably ubiquitous phenomenon that people have this idea that you base your security on owning stuff and particularly on owning a house. So people have this understanding that, you know, if I once I've paid off the bankers and the title deed to my house is in my own safe, I'm secure. Now, that's quite a peculiar idea because if you interrogate the idea of security, if you treated it like a brand, you say, well, what is this brand promise of this word? If something makes you secure, what it promises to do for you is keep you safe, protect you. And I mean, your house isn't going to do that. I mean, if, if you get viciously assaulted by somebody mm -hmm. in the street today, even if you owned your house, it's not going to rush to your defense and throw a brick at your assailant. 
So this idea that you have sure. that your house is a source of security is you saying to yourself that your house has admitted some kind of custodial responsibility with regard to you and will intercede when there's a catastrophe aimed at you. And I mean, that's just naive. Um, in fact, mm. you, you, your house isn't a sense of security. Your house is a, is, 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 is a source of insecurity. Because let's say, for example, you're not there. Somebody move, a group of hooligans occupy your house when you're away at work today. And they completely vandalize the place. They, they smash every piece of furniture they can find. They write the most obscene graffiti on every wall. They pour cement in every piece of plumbing. I mean, they completely vandalize your house. And you come home that afternoon to this vandalized house. And um, uh, I, I mean, the question is, will you be angry? And of course you'll be angry. So, so the question is then, so, so who's there to look after who? Is the house there to look after you? Or are you there to look after the house? And clearly, you're there to look after the house. In other words, although not a single asset you own admits of a custodial responsibility with regard to you, it's not going to come to your rescue if something threatens you. You've accepted a custodial responsibility with regard to every one of your assets. You assume that as you own the thing, if something tries to break it, you'll defend it. You'll intercede. While it won't intercede for you, you'll intercede for it. You'll stand between it and the catastrophe. In other words, you don't own yourself into being secure. In fact, you own yourself into being insecure. Because the more things you own, the more things will get taken away from you and will be destroyed. So, so we construct our sense of security on completely the wrong things. We construct our sense of security on, the, on assets, and these things are unspeakably fickle. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, rather construct your sense mm -hmm. of security on a suppleness of being and mind that allows you to behave appropriately, roll with a punch, if you like, of catastrophes when they happen. In other words, don't mm -hmm. make accumulation mm -hmm. your, your aim, make being able to deal with loss your aim. Then surely mm. you're secure. You know, but if you make accumulation yes. your aim, then you're yet to get. If you make being able to deal with loss your aim, you are making yourself comfortable with giving because one of the, the many synonyms of giving is losing, is giving up, is handing over. You, uh, it seems as if there's been a spin uh, of, of paradigms. And obviously, this, this shift in the way we think uh, or in the way we set out in the world um, is different. How would you um, associate perhaps, I don't know, attachment, negativity, mm. uh, the self-talk that we have uh, with, with intention, with the power of intention? I mean, the three yeah, branches, so I realize that. Our, the process of our maturation of as souls is really concerned with transcending our conditional motive. In other words, the little um, deals we try and broker with life in order to get from the world what we want. You know, the things that keep us dancing like monkeys for a couple of scraps of reward, it's really very undignified. So, so uh, uh, what we have to understand is that that conditional motive the things that we think we need from life in order to be happy, that is exactly rooted in our internal dialogue. In other words, it's our self-talk that produces that experience. 
And there's mm -hmm. two ways of transcending that experience. Um, you could, and the, the, first, the first is really concerned with, with changing the character of your internal dialogue. So, and, and journaling is useful for this. And, and so, so, and vicar is useful for this. You know, if you're running a narrative in your mind that the world is a dangerous place and they're all out to get you, then in the first instance, stop a little bit, write that down, put it in front of you, and ask, well, how true is this? Because if they're all out to get you, mm -hmm. you would be mm -hmm. dead. I mean, it's demonstrably not true. But then vicar also helps. I mean, that's why we do, we repeat things to ourselves like, husband Allah wa ni'ma wa kil, or um, uh, ya kareem, or whatever the vicar is that you, because you're, you're reciting to yourself the two fundamental truths of existence. And that is actually, you are floating on the sea of two mercies. You are, you are floating on the sea of what has been provided unconditionally and what the catastrophe that's been withheld unconditionally. I mean, this coronavirus now proves wow. that something yeah. that you can't even see can destroy you. You can be destroyed Correct. by anything from a microbe to a meteor. So why are you alive? I mean, the only reason why you're alive is because there has to be divine intervention on a day-to-day -day basis. In other words, you're living in a universe which is your benefactor and your ally because the rub of it all is your benefactor and your ally. Um, uh, your your self-talk, which creates your neediness, your self-talk, which is concerned with repeating to yourself a storyline which says that the universe is kind of is 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 mired in scarcity and it's um it's your enemy and it is hostile to you you know you change that by repeating to yourself by first of all surfacing the fact that you are thinking that and then changing the narrative that you have on the inside to change your internal dialogue the second thing that you can do is is actually the, the two sort of mutually enabling practices is to quieten your internal dialogue mm -hmm. if you're really distressed and there's lots of noise going on in your head. And you just spend 20 minutes on the masala. You just get quiet. You allow yourself to relax. You allow yourself. Then there's a natural sense of peace that comes with that. A natural sense of, hold on, things aren't as distressing as I've made them out to be. You know, that, that you kind of, you, you start operating from a level which is deeper than the froth on the surface, which is keeping you distracted and distressed. So there's two fundamental approaches to escaping this um, self-talk that you talk about. The one is to change the character of your internal dialogue, and the second is to quieten your internal dialogue. So I was, while you were talking, I was just wondering that uh, between relationships, uh, there is a huge element of love, and then that is also an element that is, um, that is required by us, the servants. Uh, to establish with the divine mm. so um, and that again uh, between mortals there is a lot of give and take how do we how do we balance out these equations how do we know that we are loving um, healthily mm. with the intent of um, giving yeah. uh, so this reminds me of a story of a young man who uh, was getting married, and uh, he was sitting at the reception, the wedding reception, 
in the company of a couple of old men who'd kind of been there before. And the one man very wisely said to him, listen, young man, you have to understand that marriage is a give-and-take affair. And another old man piped up across the table and said, you idiot, you have no idea what you're talking about. No wonder you've lost your marriage and you, you're completely kind of stuck in conflict the whole time. You haven't understood that marriage is not about give and take. Marriage is about give and give. Mm. Who says that? It, who says somebody's got to reciprocate? By what? By what rule? By who said? Mm. Is, it, is reciprocation part of the natural order of things, like the sun comes up in the east? In fact, what, the, the final reality of your life, the ultimate truth, is that you're going to die. Is there any reciprocation in death? You know, when you die, do you get anything? Mm. No. You give it all unconditionally. Unconditional giving is the trick to surviving this crazy human existence. And while you're trying to run your life on the basis of give and take, you will be mired in conflict. Because you'll always be trying to broker the outcome. You always say, well, you haven't given me the, 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 just, my, you know, the just balance of what I be. Where does that end? It's like an ongoing negotiation. No, I mean, no wonder people have miserable lives because they're trying to negotiate things with their loved ones the whole time. That's not a negotiation, that's a trade. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Love is, Correct. I'm here for you, unconditionally. That's love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, to learn that, you have to suffer the consequences of, of inappropriate uh, intent in a, in a relationship. I mean, uh, you know, as a young man in... Uh, I, I can remember one day, but this became clear to me after a series of terrible disputes with my wife. I mean, I really, I was completely at a loss. I, I wouldn't say I was suicidal, but it was, a, it was a very extreme place that I was in. And I realized one night that my problem was I was trying to account for this person's happiness. I was trying to, and I said, but you know, I cannot, the only thing I can do is do my best. And I can do that unconditionally. And the rest is not up to me. Mm -hmm. It required right. the dysfunction of that horrible experience for this penny to drop in my mind. So if you continue having a give and take engagement with other people, you will suffer. You will be mired in conflict until you wake up, until you realize that you're not here to, to get anything. Everything that you're going to get from the world is preordained for you from before to the last grain of rice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has preordained for you what you're going to get in this lifetime. That's not why you're on this theater. That's not why you're here. You're not here to get anything at all. You're here to give something. That's why you're here. You're here to serve. Give unconditionally. And the first place to serve, you serve your Rabb by serving His creation. By serving the people around you. And you're serving them unconditionally without a sense of self-pity and without a sense of, um, of martyrdom. Just joyful that you're going to have another of moment of service because you've been kept alive to be able to do it. That's freedom. That's, that's mm -hmm. nobility. That's warriorhood. Any other approach than that is slavery. Any other approach than that is cheap. It's demeaning. It is beneath the possibility that you have as a human being. You really can be a giant to stride existence, but we're not. We, we, we have a beggarly, miserly approach to things. We, 
you know, we kind of, we, we're haggling and negotiating every step of the way. I'm not getting what I'm giving in. You know, what, what a miserable state of affairs. Absolutely miserable state of affairs. We're worthy more than that. I mean, what do you need to do? What do you need to do now to create the condition that when Malik el walks through the door, you can cheerfully hop and skip and jump with him out of this existence? What do you need to do so that there's no baggage, so that you can cheerfully leave the whole lot behind? That's the only thing that matters. Everything else is speculative. In fact, everything else is grounds for slavery. So if we were to um, look at the current situation um, from not the lens of a physical ailment, mm. what do you think is happening? I think we've been given the most extraordinary opportunity that any generation of people have ever been given. And the price in terms of the death toll is actually very small. We are two days away from a lockdown in South Africa. So after two days from now, I'll only be allowed on the street if I can demonstrate of going out to buy medicine or food. Otherwise, I'm committing a crime. <laughs> mm -hmm. In other words, I'm being asked to stay at home. I'm being asked to forego all of these illusory things that I've been chasing for my adult life so far, and to just sit with myself and to sit with my kin. Now, there's two implications to that. Mm -hmm. First of all, this is halwa. This is enforced seclusion. And I better be grateful. Mm -hmm. And it's not only being done to me, but it's being done to millions of my co-citizens, brothers and sisters on this, uh, on this, this, this rock uh, hurtling through space. Now, surely after we've come through this crisis, we'll be in a different place as a species from where we were before. Because uh, millions of us have done some very serious thinking. We've done some really serious reappraisal of what's important to us. I don't think we'll be able to go back the same as what we were when we went into this crisis. There must be huge blessings. It's just asked us to stop and reflect. The second thing that's useful yeah. is that how do you transcend? How do you go beyond your conditional motive, your intent to get stuff from the world? Well, you do that by suffering failure and suffering challenge and suffering loss. There's a story that comes to mind that helps to sort of describe this experience. The story is the story of Sheikh Muhammad Emil al-Habib, who was, um, uh, was once approached by a murid, and uh, the murid was complaining about his wife, you know, I mean, as we do, I mean, spouses are there to be complained about. You know, the Marid said, you know, Sheikh, my wife is such a terrible woman, you know. You know, I mean, my mother-in-law, my mother came to visit, and you know what, she cooked for my mother. And then last week I had friends, and you know how she humiliated me in front of my friends. And she's like this, and she's like that. And the man really, really carried on about the spouse of it. And finally, after some time, the Sheikh got irritated with him and said, look, shut up. And the Marid was taken aback. He said, why? And the sheikh said, look, you clearly don't understand the purpose of a spouse. The sheikh said, the sheikh said, like the relationship between, um, uh, is like the relationship between water and a vessel. It's the nature of the vessel to find, for the water to find where the cracks in the vessel are. 
It's poor courtesy, it's poor adab for the vessel to complain when the water finds the cracks. Mm -hmm. In other words, any relationship that you have that's really close is going to find where your cracks are. Anything that irritates you says more about you and your requirements of the world than it says about the thing that's irritating you. It says more about your irritability than it does about your irritation. So the people in your life who irritate you to death are actually the biggest blessings in your life because they're the people that help you to understand the architecture of your own conditional motive. What is it that you're trying to get out of life? Now, we are going to be stuck, I mean like cheek by jowls stuck with people of that character for the next three weeks. I think that's going to be a fantastic <laughs> opportunity. We're either going to kill them, which is not optimal, or we're going to come out of that <laughs> wanting to divorce them, which is also not optimal. Hopefully, we'll come out of that having discovered a little bit about just you know our, our own conditional motive and you know having transcended some of it. So, um, so just coming towards the end of the podcast, uh, a quick question before the big question uh, is forgiveness. Because when they say that you know you have to forgive others to free yourself, is that also a step towards making an intention of giving because you are forgiving? Yes, I think that's correct. Um, because forgiving is also foregoing the accusation. And there's right, nothing more course. helpful to you than to forego the accusation. Because unless you forego mm. the accusation, you cannot escape your resentment. The most poisonous, the thing that keeps us stuck in our in the mentality of taking is resentment. Because if I, if I feel that I've been mm. done in, then I don't want to give you anything. I want to get my own back. And in fact, mm -hmm. any resentment mm -hmm. is fundamentally doing violence to the truth. It is not actually the reality of the matter. Because the reality of the matter is that you've been given wildly in excess of your due. That any experience of resentment towards the world is fundamentally inappropriate. Because the only appropriate way to engage your life in your world is to understand that you've been given much more than you could ever repay. Gratitude is where you should be and not resentment. And what makes it possible for you of to course. translate resentment into gratitude is that you forego the accusation. You forgive. Correct. Sir, three take-homes um, for all the listeners who are locked down like you and me, uh, whereby we can change the lens and find in ourselves the spirit of giving find in ourselves to mitigate this, this different sense of fear, of anxiety, of depression, of grief over this current situation, so that we can, as you said at the end of it all, um, perhaps um, emerge um, as better human beings. Let's start off by rehearsing to ourselves the blessing and not the curse of this thing. I mean, ask yourself, the world that we were collectively busy creating, where was this world going to? How benign was it going to be? We were, we were basically, you know, turning the, the, the oceans into plastic soup. 
We were quietly boiling to death half the species of the planet. We were busy quietly destroying our world. Our unbridled greed and acquisitiveness uh, was, was busy killing us and our world. So this, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. opportunity for us to take a collective step back surely is not a curse. Surely it has to be a blessing. So recite to yourself that this is not a curse, this is a blessing. When you find yourself muttering in your proverbial beard, you don't have one, but I do. When you find yourself muttering in your proverbial beard about how awful it is, just, just get, your, get a grip on yourself and say, listen, we have never, never, I'm not the only one in this predicament here. I'm not the only one who's being asked to forego my, my petty schemes and my, my, uh, um, you know, you know, my aspirations. We all are being asked to do that. All of us. This is this, you know. So, so, so I'm not losing in the rat race because the whole rat race race has been brought to a standstill. You know, this is a fantastic mm-hmm. opportunity. True. So true. Just remind yourself of that. That's right. The second thing you must do is you must make this opportunity useful to you by doing as much inner work as you can particularly in a work that produces a sense of calm and quiet and inward gatheredness. So increase your salah as much as you can. Start doing tahajjud if you can. Um, do, learn how to meditate. Learn how to do maraqabah or silent dhikr. Do, use the opportunity. The third thing, tie your camel. In, and, and tying your camel in our t- sense is not... Is not well, I mean, there's a pragmatic sense of, of you know, doing what you need to do to, uh, to ensure your good fortune, like literally tying the camel so the camel doesn't want it. But that there's, in inner work, it has a second significance, and that is start recording your insights. Write. Mm. Keep mm-hmm, a journal. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to be, you, yeah. this is an unprecedented time. You'll never be here again. You know, I mean, my father's generation were the people who fought the Second World War. A few of the people who went through that experience kept journals. Those journals are worth their weight in gold because they were first-hand accounts of things, of unprecedented experiences. You know, incredible insights, the sorts of insights you can only have when you see people, when you yourself are in a state of extremity, and when you see people in a state of extremity, so keep a journal. You know, tie these 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 mm. these these wisdom camels that come through your being. Tether them so that they can stay useful to you, and you don't forget them when afterwards you get stuck back into the hurly burly of life. So I'm utterly, utterly thankful um, to you for these um, incredible insights. Um, thank you so much and please look after yourself. Pleasure. Thank you, ma'am. Before we end the podcast today, I just want to recite a, a wonderful poem written by Dr. Lama Iqbal. And it is in Urdu. So I will read it out first in Urdu and then read out the English version, um, which I translated and then read it out um, in one of my yoga classes. So it goes, 
कोई उरूज दे ना जवाल दे मुझे सिर्फ इतना कमाल दे मुझे अपनी राह में डाल दे कि ज़माना मेरी मिसाल दे तेरी रहमतों का नज़ूल हो मुझे मेहनतों का सिला मिले मुझे मालो जर की हवस ना हो मुझे बस तू रिस्क हलाल दे मेरे जहन में तेरी फिक्र हो मेरे सांस में तेरा जिक्र हो तेरा खौफ मेरी निजात हो सभी खौफ दिल से निकाल दे तेरी बारगाह में ए खुदा मेरी रोज़ व शब है ये दुआ तो रहीम है तो करीम है मुझे मुश्किलों से निकाल दे एंड द इंग्लिश ट्रांसलेशन फॉर दिस वुड बी डोंट गिव मी एब्स एंड फ्लोज इनेबल मी डोंट गिव मी एब्स एंड फ्लोज इनेबल मी जस्ट इनेबल मी ऑन योर पार्ट्स ऑफ द एग्जैम्पलीफाई बाई मी नो एन वी ऑफ दिस वर्ल्ड ओनली मॉसल्स ऑफ प्योरिटी मे दे बी अबंडस ऑफ योर ब्लेसिंग्स मे आई बी रिवॉर्डेड ऑफ माई एफर्ट्स फ्री माई हार्ट फ्राम फियर ब्रिम माई माइंड एंड सोल विद योर प्रेजेंस ओनली most merciful most generous my only prayer remains free me from my worries most merciful most generous thank you so much for listening and we would be most humbled if you can leave us with a comment a rating or a suggestion thank you